I sit on the board of the, of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, and, and our commitment is to create more employee owners. I mean, that's just my north star in life. I think when you have more employee owners, when you have more people, especially in the front lines of business, thinking and acting like owners and being trained on financial literacy and understand how a business operates and how costs operate, and they can apply those things to their personal lives, like budgeting. It gives people a lot of pride, a lot of agency in their own lives, and, and it helps fill the, the wealth inequality gap because people actually can understand how they can have an impact, a real impact in their business. They're empowered to do so. And, and here's really what I love about all, what ties it all together is all these things, employee ownership forums at work, it changes the conversation people have at the dinner table at night. So instead of people going home and saying like, oh, my boss did this, or oh, they're jerks, or this, or, they're like, they're brainstorming about what they're getting, like ideas, they're, 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 they're empowered. They, they, they see how they can have, people can have an impact in their world. And the, the, it's not much better of a feeling than, than that. And so this, that's why I believe in, that's the common thread. And that's sort of my end goal for people. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you. And you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I'm your host and Chief Executive Connector. And today we got uh, somebody that is kind of, I guess he's a returning guest. We I just released his, just a casual conversation of ours on the podcast, but he was it was so illuminating, so inspiring that I wanted to have him on to just really, really dig into his brain. He's a guy that's had multiple success across multiple industries. He's a member of YPO. He's known as a turnaround artist. And he turns around corporate cultures by making them employee-owned. And he makes them employee-owned by launching groups and communities within the company to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And there's nothing that I'm more on board for. So, Ahad Gadimi, welcome to the show, man. I'm pumped. Oh, for the record, just read his book this weekend. First book that I've read cover to cover in a weekend since like 2011. So, uh, we're going to talk about it. The Turnaround Turnaround Artists by Ahad Gadimi. Ahad, welcome to the show, my friend. 
Man, it's it's really great to be back, and it's I'm glad we hit record last time because as soon as we we get the go we get going, then a lot of magic happens. It's cool, man. Yeah, for sure, dude. I'm happy. I'm happy to see your face again, right? Like it's it's good to see you, man. Ahad, as I kind of alluded to a second ago, my podcast anchors around human connection, right? And my thesis on human connection is the quickest way to build a connection with somebody is to either add value to their life, which I'm sure this conversation is going to do, or share a vulnerability, right? If somebody sees your struggle in, in, in their life, then they relate to you. So I always ask all my official guests, you know, now that you're an official guest here, to, to share something that you're struggling with or something that you are, you've struggled with in the past to kind of just connect with our friend that's listening in her ear right now. And then we'll talk about all your amazing qualities. Yeah, absolutely. Look, recently I had this, had this insight re- recently. I actually shared it with my mom and it was that I realized for so long in the back of my mind, look, a lot of my career has been new ideas, new concepts. Usually they're somewhere ahead of the curve. So they weren't tip, like, really popular, you know, when I sort of thought of them and and so that, you know, in a way I can feel kind of like an isolating place. Like, here's what I realized was that for so long, I had just been waiting for, you know, the approval, the validation of others, even though I really believe in these things. Like we'll talk about swimwear and kind of how we, we, we you know, things that we did that change the swimwear industry, how we work, you know, stuff I've been doing in the remote workspace and the employee ownership space. And even like my personal meditation practice, like, a lot of these things have always been, I've always started doing these things some years ahead of time. And I guess I just realized that, wow, like I, I think maybe I've been driving a little bit with the handbrake on because I've been waiting for some, I've just been waiting for validation versus just putting my head down and driving because I just knew it was right. Like I've been waiting for someone else to be like, that's a good idea. You know, I, I just didn't think that I was a person that needed that, but I realized and to some extent, I don't, but I realized, I realized to the extent that I did, that had been really slowing me down in, in terms of these things that eventually I did see come to fruition. I'd see, but I saw it kind of, and I saw the world adopt, but I'm like, huh, boy, I bet I could really move these ideas further, faster, and with less internal trepidation. You know, if I just forgive the cliche, just believed in myself more. And I think that's what it is. I realize I'm like, wow, there's, there's really more ground to cover in believing in myself and in the things that I really feel, but may not have like a material representation of around. And I think back to, you know, things that, you know, I did on 16 or 21 or just, and it's, you know, different when you're younger and having that, that kind of belief in yourself and yeah. So anyway, I, I, mean, I could go on. It brings up a lot of other things like the importance of how we, how we support each other and how we believe in each other. And I, I you know, th- there's this one thing I heard when I worked at Dannon about 15 years ago, they came up with this like phrase. I said, you know, in order for someone else to grow, someone else has to believe in them. And that's, that's up for a debate, right? But it's, when you think about that, it's, it, it's amazing when you think about yourself, you know, when someone has, it's your first client, you know, it's the first person who just really validates what you're doing. So, yeah. Listen, man, that takes me to a lot of places. Number one, <laughs> right to the root of why we do this is because I, that makes me feel very connected to you, right? Like the, I, I think I was 
really early on the green building thing. I've been really early on the content thing. I've been really early on, you know, like a lot of these premonitions, intuition of what feels right playing out and, and also driving with a handbrake on, right? Like I totally, totally, totally agree. And I hear a lot of that. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee, man. I, I, I hear a lot of that and kind of like Gary Vee, as I've like followed him throughout the years, he's always like been right early. And then he's now, now like NFTs, I think between baseball cards and NFTs, he started thinking, you know what? Fuck this, man. Like I'm right. Like I'm just going to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so now he's just going really hard at NFTs because he's so yeah. right about it. And my question to you is you said something about it with the youth thing, right? Cause I was also a very overconfident youth too. At what point, at one point in your journey, do you give in, like, should you allow yourself to really believe that intuition? Does there need to be, does there need to be a sample size of you proving that you were right before other people? Or is it de facto going to be right for other people when, if it just feels right in your core and your gut, like there's no other way that you can do something, right? Like what, what, where's that balance? Have you thought about that? Yeah. I think intuition is like shooting baskets. It's practice. You know, and I think there's intuition is one thing. A feeling is one thing. Applying or taking an action towards that feeling is another thing. We all have deja vus. We all have premonitions, intuitions, all these, you know, the unexplainable, that unexplainable experience. Everyone's had it, but some people have it more and some people take action on it. And some people really have faith and, and, and believe in it. And I think, I think the more we, the more we sort of um, double down on it and the more we sort of get into it and, and apply it, the more the louder that voice gets and the more it reinforces things. Because look, it's like, you know, going back to this analogy of driving with your handbrake on, I mean, it's like either you're going to stop or you're going to go, but like, don't do, don't, don't be in between, you know? And I think, and I think acknowledging it uh, and acknowledging, there's this interesting, I started doing this thing called tapping. I don't know if you've come across it. it, it it's, it's a real, it's called EFT. And you sort of, do like affirmations or you say these things and you tap on various chakra points. It's really neat. It's, it's made a, a big difference for me and uh, people around me. But one of the things he says is he goes, ask yourself, like do a scale one to 10 on how much you believe in your, this idea or yourself and see what number comes up and don't judge it. And it's interesting because when you do that with like your intuition or whatever, you can actually see like, Oh, like how confident or unconfident. And it's like, is it that, you don't believe in it. It's like, it's like what you're saying. Like, like you said something earlier, you said that you know, nobody could tell me otherwise, right? You know, I'm just so, I just know it. It's like, so that's your knowingness. That's how, like, how rooted you are in that belief. And then after it's like, okay, so that sounds like a 10. It's like, what's your action on? Is your action on it a four or a five? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then why, you know? And I don't think, and none of it's bad. I think you can sort of look at all this with like neutral observation. Just be curious, you know. It's like, oh, I feel a ten on this. You use Gary Vee as an example. Like he feels a ten on X. You know, I think Uber is one of his examples, or whatever. I guess he didn't feel like that, but whatever it is, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, and he, what, he passed on Uber early, or passed on Airbnb early, or one of those famous. Yeah, things. yeah. You feel really good about it, okay? So, and if your action is like a five out of ten, well, why? What is it? What's what's there? And I think ask. I think engaging our intuition and asking. And, and exploring it, you know, and, and, and relaxing into it. I think we can learn a lot. Yeah. I think that's really positive self-talk actually. Dude. Awesome. And I think I, I, I completely agree, man. You just 
perfectly illustrated the whole, I feel like I've been right on so many things that now that I have this thought, I'm all in on it. And the difference between how full, how, how sure of it I am and the action of it that I'm taking is where my, is what I need to reconcile, right? Like it is the, like if once you align, cause at first it was really about aligning who I am with what I'm doing. Now it's like, now that I'm sure of what I'm doing, it's aligning my actions with who I am, right? Like, yeah. so it, it kind of comes full circle, right? I, I moved to Colorado 10 years ago, right? And then to the Rockies. And, and I had like friends, and I grew up in Toronto, grew up in Paris and Buenos Aires, all cities, very sort of city culture. People were like, wait, so you're living there? Like, why you like mountain bike every day? Like, why? Why do you do that? And it's interesting because you look at these places now and it's like, from a real estate perspective, it's like, blowing up and it's crazy and but i did feel i mean look we're a product of our environments we're a product of our relationships also and like you know and i think validation is a natural thing and and sometimes i did wonder like you know and then i moved to a ski town i was like well i'd love to ski all the time and i can do what i do from anywhere so why wouldn't i and so i did that like a few years ago and it's like and it didn't feel right you know and it felt weird but now you look at ski towns and it's like completely real estate. Like you can't get into anything is blowing up, but it's like, I'm like, yeah, but it's like, so what was my hitch back then? And I think my hitch back then was like, Oh, not everybody agreed. And I could just like look back at that and smile and like, like, huh. Inter- interesting. I was just looking, I was waiting for everybody to agree. And now that everyone's agreed, you know, like the, the real estate market's blowing up in these places. So uh, I don't know. And I, I think, I think also being really kind to ourselves, you know, I think, look, this is all, there's like two types of self-talk, right? There's like the unconscious self-talk that just happens a lot, where we're just, I don't know, maybe hating on ourselves or, or criticizing or rethinking or, or, or there's like positive self-talk, you know, and asking ourselves questions like, huh, I wonder why it is I'm not doing this. Or I wonder what would it look like if I did this? It's both. And I think when you have that, I think when we have that self-talk, it like takes the place of the, the, the less constructive self-talk that can happen when it's more unconscious. Yeah. That makes sense. Dude, when you're, when you're talking and this weekend, as I spent reading your book, man, it was so, you said something key, right? Like I, I can't help but think of the fact that first of all, a couple of things in this story of what we're talking about. I don't think there's much difference between leaning into your intuition and going all out and fail forward, which is a widely accepted business practice. Right? Right. right. You're right. You're right. So, so, you know, as I think about it that way, I'm like, all right, it's time to go full ham. The other, the other thing I think about is as I read your story, man, it's clear that you come from a tight knit family, well-supported, you know, sweet mom, hard charging dad. I echo with all of it, right? Like even, even the ski town conversation that I echo with like f- three years ago, four years ago, I was like, dad, when I was thinking about leaving my construction career, moving to Jacksonville to work for the startup because I needed to try other things, right? Like, I'm like, dad, how would you feel if you just couldn't golf, but 10 times a year and you had the opportunity to move somewhere where you could golf every week? And he's like, bro, I have never thought about where I would live based on where I like to have fun. Like, that's just ludicrous to me, <laughs> you know, because I'm because I'm trying to come surf, right? And, and it sounds exactly like that conversation. <laughs> but the month I moved here, right, like, I moved to Jacksonville and like two months later on Surfline comes out this article about cities with surf. And it's like cities with more than a million inhabitants with more than 
uh, 100 days a year of surfing. And it was like LA, San Diego, Honolulu, Cape Town, Sydney, Rio de Janeiro, Tel Aviv, and Jacksonville. And I'm like, wow, this is a great real estate play. <laughs> like, wow. Where else? You know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, so I just, I had to, I had to, you know, the ego had to get all of that out to, to talk about myself there for a second, man. But like, I just, I, I hear so much in your story and I really want to, I think we could spend four hours going into like a biographical podcast of you, but there's specific things I want to dive in with you that I think are, that I really want to jam with, man. So I just kind of want to like summarize pre this book, right? Pre turnaround artists, you and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But you're like a Harvard MBA, right? No, it's the Richard Ivey School of Business. Richard yeah, Ivey yeah. School of Business, some other yeah. fancy yeah. school yeah. of business. Where is yeah, that? It's like, it's, it's, like a, it's like the Canadian Harvard. It's like a case study business school. In, okay. Yeah. All right. That's, I, like, I, like, I like what that's about. All right. So, so you, got a, you, you, you have an MBA. You worked for Dannon at a very, very high level. You started this fashion slash swimwear brand that did wildly successful then you took over in a manufacturing sector of a felon-owned company, right? Or you turned it into a felon-owned company? Or? Yeah, no, no. no. It was, so it was it was a manufacturing company that uh, they've been around seventy years. They had a massive union problem based in Canada. Then they moved down to South Carolina, where it's a right-to-work state, so unions can't exist, and so they have to completely re hire, rebuild everything from scratch and then, but couldn't, you know, and so, and, and so a lot of their workforce actually came from the South Carolina penal system. So people would sort of, people who come out of prison, you know, they called the bounce back program. You know, we'd hire them because, so we were making industrial water filters, fiberglass, resin, like it was, it was pretty nasty work environment really. And, and so most of the people who worked there were people who couldn't get jobs anywhere else, frankly. And uh, so by the time I got there, this company was completely bankrupt, insolvent. And uh, so they were just like weeks from shutting it down. And uh, so they, so I became a co-owner of the business and which means I just took on a bunch of debt, you know, it really means <laughs> I've got worse off than when I started. But the idea was, uh, you know, if I could turn this around, then I would, uh, you know, benefit from the upside of the sale. And so I, I had, and so the objective was, uh, we made sort of these huge water filters, like you know, big as the room you're you're sitting in. And so the idea was, can we make these things on time, on budget, and with this workforce? You know, and that had been a solid no for the last four years that the company was down in South Carolina. And, and look, like, I didn't know a first thing to industrial water filters. Like I still, I kind of still don't, you know, and, or resins. I mean, grade 11 chemistry was as far as I got, you know, but what I did know, you know, and it's interesting working with that population, I mean, people I miss and think about often actually now is that here's what they wanted, man, respect, like everybody else, you know, they want to be respected. And so here's an interesting thing. If you, Go into a business and you know nothing about it. You can do one of two things. You can strut and you know pretend like you're you know, you're, you know you you could you can act like you know you're a know it all. I, I mean, I can get very far, obviously. Or you just come clean and you say, "Look, I have no idea for <laughs> anything with this business." And then an amazing thing happens is you have to start asking questions and you have to like really listen and and. For the first like three months, every time I asked a question, someone answered, I had 10 more questions because I just didn't know anything. But I literally met every single person. I think there were like 120 people at the time at the at the plant. 
maybe 20 odd people in the back in the front office and then the rest, um, maybe a little less and, 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 and on the plant. And if I just got together with people and I said, look, I just want to learn and you're, I need to learn from you. And nobody's asked these people, these, these factory workers, you know, on the front line, no one's really listened to them so intently. And a few things happens. One, they say, they say we do this, we do this, this way, this one saying, you ask questions, you know, if you're, why? Sometimes it's like, well, I don't know why we do it that way. Cause it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, but the other thing is there's a lot of pride and respect and people realize that they're, they're, well, they are valuable. You know, if they're not valuable, then they really shouldn't be there on the payroll, you know, including the, the custodian, you know, when the custodian, the guy who cleans the bathrooms, if he's not there for two days, you really feel it and you really smell it. Right. So everyone's really valuable, but getting people to realize that and getting people to understand how they can approach each other with that same energy and that same behavior and openness and acceptance. I mean, that's, that's what turned that place around. It's not because I was a proficient engineer or a tremendous salesperson. It's just, I just, you know, I knew how to get those people to collaborate and, and support one another because I, I, I led, you know, with that example. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. So how long you, you took that in, you started asking those questions, person to person, micro change within led to culture change. Yeah. How long was that process from you taking this over, taking ownership in it? By the way, this is, I mean, that's leverage buyout, right? Like you're just, you're basically buying into a company based on how much you can turn it around. And I imagine you took on basically. some- did you take on some debt to make it happen? And, and then, yeah, yeah. So, I, so, so we had no, we had no, so this is going to sound absurd. And this does, this may not really speak well of my business acumen, but look, man, I was like, <laughs> I just wanted a deal. And when you want to, when you want, like, cause before that I was doing turnarounds. So I, I was, I was doing turnarounds as a consultant, you know, for a long time. And I realized, and this might not make me popular for saying this, but often the issue wasn't the employees, it was the owners or the senior leadership. And they're, you know, they bring me in to fix, you know, to fix the employees. I'm like, often it's like the problem starts, you know, when they, my father always says the fish stinks from the head, you know? And so that's where it really starts. And I soon realized, God, if I just, if I was the CEO, if I had ownership, I've had real power here, I could probably turn these places around much quicker and make a lot more value because often I was, you know, as a consultant, you're never really going to make the full value of what you're creating because you also don't have the full risk. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm going to like, I need to look for my own deals. And I didn't have much money and I didn't have much. I had like fashion swimsuit startup CEO and some in corporate experience, but not, you know, I was looking for businesses that were doing at least 10 million in revenue. And I just decided one day that's what I was going to do. I just decided and, and I just knew that I could. I didn't know how well I could do it. I just knew I could you know? And so, so, so when those are the circumstances, you kind of pick up what you can get. And so with this one, I actually had an option. So my option was, I'm like, look, I'll, I ran the company on my credit cards, which is like absurd. So I ran about a hundred grand a month on, on credit. Cause, cause we, I mean, it is completely, I had four credit cards that I got and everybody in the office, all this, all the procurement people had my credit card numbers. So they could like, because we, because we had, we had no more credit. Because they had, we had like two million, we owe two million dollars to our 
suppliers. And so, you know, you have to negotiate. I'm like, look, you like, because we have to buy like a lot of resin for the, for the, the building these tanks with fiberglass. Uh, main, my main, main sort of materials was resin and fiberglass. And so, and I'd say to them, I'm like, look, if you don't sell to us, we're just going to collapse. So you, you got to do something with us, but we're not going to give you any credit because we, we don't think you're good for it. I'm like, fine. Put it on my credit card. I mean, I got a lot of miles. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you that much. I got miles, miles for days. But, but anyway, that really kept me on top of it because I always had to, you know. So that was my risk. And then I also had like an, basically I had an option because I couldn't buy, buy a piece of the company because there's a, it wasn't worth, it was worth negative money. So, so I thought, okay, yeah, if this thing does well, if, if we sell it, then I get 40% of the upside. So that was kind of the deal. And, and I think, I think it's just important because I was talking to these other young guys the other day who were like looking for a deal. And I was like, man, like the world needs young or, or people who are, who want to go and lead and take over a business. There's a lot of businesses, a lot of business owners who don't want to, who want out whose businesses may or may not be sellable and they just they're burnt out or uninterested and they need the right person to come and lead them. And there's a lot of that out there actually. So, so, so I started in April, I think it was 2016. I can't remember, but by the time, and this is in Spartanburg, South Carolina. That's where DMX, you know, rest is, you know, rest in peace. That's where, that's where he's from. So, but Spartanburg, top 10 murder capital in the United States, like it is. So they call it Sparkle City. And I didn't realize why. I thought it was made because there was a sparkle factory because every factory is in Spartanburg. It's because when you fly over at nighttime, you see sparkles from all the gunfire. Wow. That's Sparkleburg. That's, Spark- that's Spartanburg. Rather. So, so this is like the environment here. And we started, you know, in April. I took over in April of that year. By October, there was rumors of someone to buy us out. Because we had we we had gone from losing about I think it was like two million dollars a year to breaking even again by by October, and it wasn't me. It was me and everybody else. I I didn't make one fiberglass tank, you know. So, but you know, we we did. My predecessor was someone that, you know, uh, I never worked with him, but from what I heard from other people was, you know, you could hear him yelling from the front office across the 50,000 square foot factory, you, you, you know? And so, so if someone was late, he'd freak out. So guess what? No one ever told him, you know, so there wasn't that trust. There was no psychological safety there. And one of the first things I said when I started, I said, look guys, like everybody starts with an A today. I don't, so you, everybody has an A right now, no matter what you've done before, but if somehow you lose your A and you just, you know, you, you, you know, you're not in line, I'll never disrespect you. You might be asked to leave, but you'll never, you'll never be disrespected here. And that was like the number one thing. And an interesting thing happens when you sort of set that tone as a leader is that everybody, people realize, oh, that's the, that's the bar. And everybody else starts treating each other that way. And so one of the things that I did was I started getting people. So when I started asking people questions, I brought them in as groups, you know? And then, so I really sort of created this culture where people would get together and these, you know, we call them like communities of practice or, or forums. When you get together and, you know, what you share, what you talk about stays there and you can feel free to ask for support or, or share your ideas and no one's going to judge you. 
in, in a way that's not so revolutionary, but it, it is rare. But when you create that environment, it's pretty amazing the magic that comes out of people's mouths and, or, or the combination of ideas and things that come up when people realize that they're valued and that they, what they say matters, you know, because I just believe virtually everybody wants to do well and wants to, you know, feel good about what they're doing. Dude. Amazing. That's, that's an incredible story. And Ed, a couple of things I want to talk to you offline about is you're right. The world needs people that want to take over a business and there's so many really, really talented mid to upper mid level management operators in corporate America working for the wrong company that are in a specific niche that may just have, have to be waiting for 25 years before they make an extra 20% more in salary. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking about one person specific who actually lives in Greenville, South Carolina. I don't want to say his name because I'm going to introduce you to him because I want to, I want to get him. Anyway, incredible operator who's been working in the construction trades industry for 15, 20 years now has taken over operation after operation, but feels like, and, and, you know, he's like, he's dying, man. Like he, he just works for a fortune 200 company, slowly sucking his soul out. And while yeah. he's like stressing out and, you know, maybe he makes an extra 10% this year or, or, or whatever. And he does fine. Right. It's like the golden handcuffs, but yeah, yeah. the the idea that he could be, he could take over a company like you, you know, like work with a group like yours as an operator to take yeah. over a company, participate in the upside, go through all the same stress he's dealing with right now. Yeah. Actually have an exit on the back end, man. That's, yeah. that's like, there's so many of those guys. right? Yeah. Like, and, and the irony is actually you have more control. Because in the corporate environment, for whatever, maybe because you're, the company's so successful, we talk about it doing bad. What if it's so successful gets bought out? Boom. If you're redundant, you're gone. And so all, so the, the irony is, is that people do that for the security, but it's a false sense of security, you know? And I think that, I, I think, I think when you, once you are more, more control of your your destiny and your outcome you actually have a lot more at least it's in your hands you know more so than someone else making that call totally 100 percent agree man all right dude so you enter this manufacturing facility turn it around and that's kind of the beginning of this book right like you have an exit and you get a phone call from your mom that your mm-hmm. dad's laid up in the hospital mm-hmm. broke his femur he has a 30-year-old restaurant that does really, really, really well. But he's been the guy that has, you know, the it, he, he he's ran it as a totalitarian as opposed to a venture capitalist or something like that, right? Give me, give me, set it up, set it up for our friend that's listening right now, right? Because I, I don't want to go too deep into the story because I already know it, right? But like, <laughs> kind of like set up where you are in life when you get this phone call and what's going through your head. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm at a stage where I'm finally like I I know what I'm good at. I love what I'm doing. One of the things, look, I grew up in the family business. I'm the eldest of four, and so I started working in the family restaurants when I was like seven, eight years old. You know, and so by the time I was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I was like, okay, this is. I actually made a vow to myself that I would never take over the family business. 
you know, I'm like, listen, my siblings could have it. <laughs> it's all yours. I don't have anything to do with it. And I just, you know, I, I adore my, my father. It's just, I just, it didn't feel good. It felt like stressed. I didn't like the relationship. I didn't like the strife, the friction. I didn't like being there. Really. I didn't like, I didn't like working there. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't leave there feeling energized, you know? And I, and I just believed and call it like, you know, a child's idealism that I just felt like that's what working should be like, you know? And so fast forward, you know, and I get the call and yeah, I never forgot it. I actually spoke to my dad and, and like, man, he, he, I don't really get into this too much in the story, but he just sounded off. Like he just sounded like, like, like psychologically off. And I was like, whoa, like I, I need to go home, uh, you know, I need, I need to like go. And, and I did. And, and it's, it's interesting. Like I never, I remember I like packing my, my luggage. I'm like, how much do I pack? Like, like how am I, how am I going? There's like, there's kind of like what I, what I thought it was, what I wanted it to be. And I like what I thought it's actually going to be. Right. And so I ended up taking a carry on and it was not enough clothes because I ended up being there for, for a while. And, you know, I remember going back into the restaurant and I always had continued going. I mean, I, I love the people and I love the, the food, but, but just going back there and just thinking like, okay, like what's the goal here? And, and the goal for me was not to be my, not to replace my father. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to become the next, you know, the uh, restaurateur. It just wasn't in the cards for me. And, um, but I do remember sitting there and looking around and thinking like, it's about what, like almost a hundred employees here. I'm like, boy, everybody just took like 1% of ownership. Like, like, look, there's psychological mental ownership. And then there's sort of, you know, more material like stocks and profit sharing or whatever. But it's like your feeling towards like, you know, your, your, the responsibility, you accept your commitment to something. My God, if everybody just took 1% of that here, this place wouldn't need one uh, patriarch to, to, to carry it all, you know? And that's a theory, right? So does that actually work? And, and you know, and, and here's one thing that business owners will tell you, like, yeah, yeah, in manufacturing or in architecture or fill in the blank, you know? But in this business, no, 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 it's completely different. Anyway. I used to believe that actually, <laughs> but uh, at this stage of the game, you realize, you know, the common denominator is people and, and, uh, and often people haven't been taught or, or the conditions haven't been set for them to collaborate or to think about a business as their own or their jobs as their own, you know, and, and, and here's the beauty of it is we all own things, you know, whether it's your sneakers or your shoes or your home. And it's very different from the car you rent to the car you own. You know, no, no, nobody takes the car they rent to the car wash. You know, nobody pumps the full, the best gas into the car you 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 rent, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never buy a car from Enterprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But you know what it feels like to own a car and to be like, hey, don't don't bring your drink in my car. You know, all of a sudden, like it's different. You know, and it's like so people know what it is to feel that commitment. So how do we create that? And more importantly, what gets in the way? Because you think about when someone starts a job, typically there's always a lot of enthusiasm and excitement, but then it slowly erodes and there's, there's an apathy that gets created. Why? Why? What are those hurdles? What are those things that get in the way from people really having their heart into something? 
at one point people say, ah, screw it. It's just, it's just a job, you know? And often people say, well, nobody else cares. So why should I? Because there's this dissonance where you join and you see a lot with especially young people, their twenties, they start to turn a job. They, they like, they, they pour their soul into it, but for whatever reason, they become apathetic and cynical and they just, they, they switch off. So it's interesting. It's this notion that like, it's actually not about switching people on, but it's like, what are the things that are switching people off? You know, what's people, what's getting people to stop caring? And, and we're not really taught those things. And that's a big thing about what I think about in, in, in leading culture change, you know, what the book sort of talks about. And actually, so the book, when I wrote it, it was meant to be a guide, actually. So, so it's funny you say you, you, you read it in one sitting. So when I was like doing my betas, when I first spoke last spring, I was like sharing with people. I shared with a lot of my peers and people would be like, oh, it's great. I finished in one sitting. And I was like, Oh, you weren't supposed to do that. You're supposed to stop at every chapter. And because I used to have like action steps at the end of every chapter, and then you're supposed to stop there and apply the action step. And then I realized, okay, I can't force people to do that, you know, reading a book. So what I did was I created like an online learning platform so that people can actually go to the book. And I actually you only I only share one chapter a week. So it's like TV episodes from like the nineties or you, you have to wait till like the next week. Yeah. So Seinfeld appointment, watch appointment television. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and the whole sort of purpose or Genesis was here's these 10 things. And if you do these 10 things and each one takes about 30 seconds, maybe one of them takes a few, few minutes, but they're like tiny little things. If you did these things, you know, once a day for the next 10 weeks, you're going to have a very different experience of the place that you work at. And, and that was my why, because here's what I realized after like the, the fiberglass, the distribution company or the e-commerce, all these, the one thing I realized, here's a, f- a weird feeling I got at the end of it. Then every, I had a bittersweet feeling at the end of every one of those ventures was I thought, awesome. It worked. Awesome. These ideas happen in this new industry, you know, ah, oh, but I don't, I only just like touched 50 people or 100 people like there's tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people that aren't and i'm never going to make it this way i'm never going to be able to reach those people with this with, with like these, this process and these little things that are simple and that make a dramatic difference the way i'm at this rate i'll never make it i i won't even touch the surface so so i thought how do i reach more people and create something that's going to be accessible and that's what the book and this sort of learning platform is, was, you know, one of my values going into this was accessibility. Like price could never be a hurdle. This has to be available to all people so that they can change their experience of work and, and life. You know, I, I want to I dig into the brilliance of the book, but right now what you're saying to me is something that it's one of those truths, right, that I'm, that I'm chasing. It's the idea that, if you want to make an impact, whatever you're working on, you got to make it into content, right? Like the book is one form of content that I can get over a weekend. Your course is another form of content that now gives me the prescriptive recipe. And then if people can, if people buy into the book, right? Like if people consume it like me, next step is go to the course. Next step is, okay, I've implemented this stuff in my business. Now I actually want to make it employee owned. Cause I really, really believe in what a hod's doing. So right. now it's time to bring on, 
you know, your uh, <laughs> core, core work capital, right? Like, like I, I you know, that I, I, I have to call that out because it's so, because as I'm reading this book, because I remember you, I, I, I listened to our, our conversation. You're like, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how to affect culture change at scale. And I'm like, you know, that came out on my, on my social feeds this weekend. As I'm reading this book, I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, like this is scale, bro. You know what I mean? Like content is scale. You know, you're, 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 you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. So, all right. So then that, that's all the validation I need. This, this interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, people had said that to me too. They'd said that they're like, because, because then what I want to do is raise a fund so I could buy out a bunch, a lot of companies or finance this and get people like your friend in Greenville to come and run them and be co-owners and like, and, and create more employee owners. I mean, that is my mission in life is to create more employee owners. And it's interesting because when I was like, at first when I was going around talking to investors about investing in this fund, they said, okay, we believe you can do a turnaround, but when you have 10 companies or 30 companies, there's only one of you. And we just think it's you. I'm like, I'm like, I appreciate that, but it's not me. It's the things that I'm doing. And those things are learnable. I'm not the one person out of 7 billion. And, and that's actually why my book is called Turnaround Artists. It's not called The Turnaround Artist. It's not about me. It's about the fact that these are behaviors that if you just do these behaviors. So uh, let me share a little story with you that's like, Again, you know, bittersweet, like I think a lot of things in life. So I was in the process of buying out this company, very successful business, that e-commerce business. And the owner was completely burnt out. You know, all he wanted to do was he literally would say, I want to take my phone and I want to, I want like a tractor trailer to ride over it. So I'd never have to like answer another email. And he was done. And so I you know, we talked about this employee ownership thing. He was, you know, dubious. He said, Man, I love my guys, but there's no way these guys, I mean, they barely even show up for work on time. Like you're dreaming. Anyway, long story short, well, I spent a couple months with them two days a week. No, sorry, two days a month for three months. Halfway through that process, him and his wife were like, okay, we see it. We want it. We want to do this. We want to get out. We want to cash out. We want to create this for our employees. And so we kind of, we got the, we got the price together. We agreed on the price. We were just waiting for like, it was going to be bank finance. So a lot of employee ownership, especially before like, we were using a lot of bank financing. And so as we were waiting for that to happen, I learned a lesson and that you don't, don't take over a business until you actually purchased it, you know, until, until the deal is done, because you might create a lot of value. <laughs> like you might blow up the deal. So I took over, you know, cause I'm like, well, my other business was doing really well. And I really liked this business. I, I was like, really, I really like the guys. And so it was really, it was like a new industry. So it was really exciting. And so anyway, long story short, the four or five months that we were waiting for this bank financing, I was taking forever to get like organized to come together. The business, the value of the business went up 20%, you know, about, and so and the profits of the business went up 40% at that time. And long and short of it is, and, and the employees, like, took, no shares had been distributed, nothing had, like, but the, the ownership mentality has set in. And the guy blew up the deal. He called off the deal. And, and there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of, there was, like, financial pain for me. And then there was also, like, you know, this thing, that, like, we didn't even get to start, really, because, and I wasn't trying to improve this business, really. Like, all my cards were, like, I was going to double this business in, in the first year. It was all in my back pocket. I was just waiting. And I remember my lawyer at the time said, he goes, you did too much. 
I was like, and I remember I kept saying, but I didn't do anything. And I kept saying that over and over and I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I was like, Oh, but I'm like, but I did show, I did go to work every day. I spent six hours, six, seven hours there. And I was like, Oh, maybe it wasn't what I was doing. Maybe it was what I was, how I was being. So how was I being? And I remember like I was whiteboarding this. I was like, well, I was being a good listener. Cause I was like asking a lot. Of, I was being really inquisitive because I didn't know anything about the business. So I was talking to all these guys and, and those things were, are the elements of the, 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 the action steps in my book. Cause I thought, boy, if someone just, it's not about what you're doing all the time, but it's like, how are you being? And what do you, what kind of environment are you creating in terms of how you're being, how that ripples. And so that was kind of where I came to. I thought, I wonder if I got other people to be this way, what impact that would have. And how do I make that so simple, like T-ball, you know, where you just, you can't really miss. I wonder what would happen. And that's really what, where this book and this process and this learning platform and all this has come from, you know? Dude, really good, uh, really good story there. My number one question when I finished the book, number one, I got to say, right? Like, you packaged it up beautifully, right? Like, like when, as you're saying, man, I didn't want you to read it through the weekend. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, th- I think he's missing the point that like, I read it through the weekend and now I'm all in on going through chapter yeah. by chapter and implementing it in my business, yeah. right? Like, so you packaged it up beautifully, man. And my number one question was, you know, you described this as this like, kind of, it's like a 12 week process or like a 10 week process, right? Like where you just like every forum meeting goes from, you know, humanizing the other person and understanding what's around them to yeah. being grateful for the things that matter to you because you just learned what mattered to other people to yeah, being yeah. better at listening to like, you know, being more self-aware to then asking other people what they think to then implement, you know, like it's, it's brilliant, bro. And my number one question was, did it really just take 10 weeks? But with this story, I'm just like, yeah, it kind of sounds like it does just kind of take 10 weeks, right? If if you can turn this business in four months of due diligence into 40% better, that's insane. Man, so that's what, what you're hitting on a very common question. And people, people will say, culture change is hard. Culture change takes a long time. Culture change, I don't know. It, it can't happen so quickly. Yeah, it and, sounds and, daunting. Culture change sounds daunting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so here's what's really interesting is that for culture change to work, it actually has to go pretty quickly. You, you, you actually have to be immersive in it, you know, because you have to be committed to it. And, and it's, it's, it's really remarkable what could happen in 10 to 12 weeks. And so, look, there's one part of my experience of going through this. You know, I mean, one time I have to tell you a story about, like, I took over a big construction site in the north coast of Jamaica. So this is a country where there's more guns than people. And, and I don't know anything about construction. And, you know, two years overdue this construction site. And I think that's the trade that you're familiar with that world, right? Yeah. So, And I'm familiar with not knowing anything about construction and leading construction. Too. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's me. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if it's actually not going to happen in the first few months in a big way, then it probably won't happen. You're probably not even on the right track, actually. And that's really, that's sort of the, maybe the, the misperception with, with culture change. And that it's not, it, it's, I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but it is simple, actually. Culture change is simple. And I think how hard we make it is, it's like, it's, it's, if it's hard, it's because we're making it hard. You know, everybody wants to work in a great 
environment. Everybody wants to be authentic. Everybody wants to uh, connect. Everybody wants, like, these are human things, you know? So, okay, so then what's getting in the way? You know, is it an ego thing? You know, is it a power thing? Is it a greed thing? Is it, you know, and so these are, those are the things that actually make it hard. So they're all sort of self-induced, self-contrived. And so that's why, look, frankly, you know, it makes a huge difference, really, if a CEO is on board, if the head of the company is on board. It makes a huge difference because I get it. If you're a manager at a company and you want that kind of that environment, but that CEO is not willing to give up ego and greed or whatever stuff, you know, if he's not willing to change also, you're right. In that case, it is really hard because it's, it's actually not hard. It's impossible, actually, in that case. So it's easy because that person's not willing to change. And so actually, I look for that a lot. You know, if, I, if I'm, I'm going to partner with people or especially as I'm rolling out these programs, especially if I'm not the sole decision maker, I'm like, man, is this person even really going to get on board? Because if they're not, you probably should even start. This is awesome, man. Like you, you kind of answered what my follow-up question was, right? Like my, my idea was, okay, it can be fast, but it sounds from your stories and from this book that it can be fast as long as leadership is fully bought in and leading by example. And then it also seems like the person that is moderating these groups, you know, either needs to be the CEO or needs to be a highly, highly skilled group moderating person that can walk the line between buy-in from CEO and buy-in from bottom people, not bottom from everyone else. Yes and no. So, so here's, so my book, like I told you, we, we've developed a learning platform around it. Mm-hmm. And so, and we've been rolling this out. We're in like, I don't know, somewhere like a, like a dozen countries now. So Africa, Europe, Central America, across the United States, Canada, and Japan. So I'm seeing this in a lot of different cultures, right? And so here's how and people say, okay, well, how do we roll this out? Where do we start? So here's what I've always encouraged them to do. So first of all, the whole process is we used to provide a moderator. We don't do that anymore. We've actually set it up so you can self-moderate because we want you accessibility and democratizing this process. That's what it's really about. We don't want you to be dependent on us. We want you to build that capacity internally so it's yours. So we actually get the senior leadership team to go through it. And then we also get like a high-performing middle management team. So it's kind of like bottom-up, top-down. We get them to go through it. And actually, every meeting, a little bit like in the book, in the book, the the protagonist, Adrian, he, he moderates most of them. But in real life, actually, we get, after the second or third meeting, we get people to take turns moderating. And there's a moderator guide. So we tee it up so that it's like really easy to be successful and to win and to feel the exhilaration of moderating because it's a lot of fun. And here's what we notice that happens. Once those two groups go through it, most, if not all of them, then are like, oh my God, first of all, like that was amazing. What, like the connection that's built between us and what we've learned. I'm going to go run that with my own, my own team. So it starts cascading. And people start running it themselves. And then, then what we do is we, start, we, we keep giving them more content, more topics and themes to discuss. Really what we're saying is spend at least an hour a week to get together and have like a really intentional, well-structured, well-guided conversation where you're learning from and about one another on these various topics. Do that 
and your your culture will be you know people will feel more energized at the end of the workday because work will be a, a source of energy like like the gym is you go to the gym you know you lift you do all this crazy stuff but you leave more energized how does that make sense yeah yeah it's brilliant man so what's the I guess what's the business model? Because this is, you know, this you're not getting rich off this book. the The course is mostly free, right? Um, no, the course people pay for the course, okay. and so the course is kind of, it's a little bit like we call it like Netflix for L and D learning and development. So, so people pay like it's nominal. It's like 30, 40 bucks a person per month, but they pay, and so they have this whole learning platform and this whole sort of program. They go through it but then there's sort of more content so that they get together with this program and then they just keep talking and keep meeting. And then what we also do is we're rolling out this platform. So once you've gone through the, the first course, that book, you learn how to be in a forum. You learn how to be in that space and how to create, because being to be in a forum, you, everything you talk about is confidential. You share a top 5%, bottom 5% of how you feel you don't give advice, you share experiences, you know, and, and you really listen to connect. Once you create, once people have gone through that, then they become trained in how to be in a forum. So then our, what we're incorporating in our platform is that we'll introduce you to other people of your same seniority level from other companies where you can join into forums with them and have that connection where you can learn and grow with other people and have other pods around the world with people who are relevant to you, but also speak this language and believe in this. So it's kind of like a product led model then, right? Like it's kind of like freemium product led, like you're, you're going to just keep ascending because the product is so good. That's right. That then creates this giant LTV on the back end because you're never going to want to come off it because once you're in these meetings, you're going to be like, all right, well, we got topics for the next 12 weeks. What about the following 12 weeks? Cause I'm addicted to this thing. Well, that's what happens. People finish it. And they're like, well, now, what? now what do we do? I'm like, well, now we, I'm like, there's six other things you can start, you know, and from like, you know, a four week program on creating mindfulness. So you and your forum could create like a mindful practice or candid conversations or persuasion skills or inclusive. I mean, the list goes on, but it's like, but people do find, you're right, once they get into this cadence of meeting once a week and having that talk, you know what it does? It replaces, we need to connect, right? We need to socialize. We need to learn. These are, these are sort of innate human things. What we've done is instead of doing that in a sort of a haphazard way by the water cooler, or we've actually made it really intentional and structured so that it's one, it's enjoyable, one, Two, it's simple. It's, you know, it's, it's easy. You don't have to prepare very much, but three, it's very intentional. So in that hour, you just got, you learned about a bunch of people that you work with that are new to you. You learned a new tool. You learned about yourself. You got to, all this happens in an hour. So then after that, you're like, wow, that was like the best hour of my week. And so to your point, we just keep feeding that. And that's, and that's really what we want. We want to really create the best hour of people's week. So that spills over for the rest of their lives. Amazing. I'm so impressed. <laughs> right. Like never do I, I talk to so many online course creators all the time being in like the online marketing world and I'm never impressed. Right. Like this to me is transcendently amazing and I love it, man. So I'm good talking about that. If you're ready for the lightning round. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bam, 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 bam. All right. Yeah. Round. Okay. 
I'm actually really pumped to ask you about this. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what do you order? Look, there's a restaurant in, in Saint-Germain in Paris. It's not terribly fancy. It's, it's a nice restaurant. It's called L'Entrecote. But when, so when I lived in Paris, I was 25 years old. And if I ever had like a hard day at work, and I was working in a corporate environment after like leading a world-famous swimsuit company. So sometimes I was like, what am I doing here, right? But I mean, it was good for me. But anyway, when I had a hard time, I'd go to L'Entrecote because it was, was Saint-Germain. It's a fabulous part of Paris. But you only have two decisions at that restaurant is how you want your steak cooked because it's only steak and fries, you know, and, and salad and what kind of wine you want to drink and what do you want for dessert? Like, so you don't have to make no decisions, but it was just like, it was right out of like 1960s, like the way people are dressed and decor, the steak is delicious. And I just, the one place I could just go, I go by myself. You can't make a reservation. So you wait outside and go in. And I just felt like, like it was like my treat for like a hard day, maybe even a song, like a, a, like a good day. But like, that's, that's the first place that comes to mind. And it's just easy. And it was just, it was like good for my soul. The experience, man, did something yeah. you, you just put me right. Like, you know, thinking of like classy old school Paris puts yeah, a yeah. big smile on my face and the, like the pump frites and the, you know, like, yeah. oh God. <laughs> all right, man, that just made me hungry. Okay. What, what content are you most into right now? Could be, Netflix and chill series to whatever book you're most into to whatever podcast you're most into right now. Like what content wise, what's feeding your brain? I just finished watching Halt and Catch Fire on, on, on Netflix. And that was, so it's about like, it's like loosely real about people, the group of people who started like, who are like tech in like Texas in the eighties and then eventually make it to Silicon Valley. So it's just interesting to look back on the development of the first I don't know, laptop or like modems. And, and it's almost like it's helped me kind of look back to look forward. Like, what is it like to look back and seeing people like think about like, Oh my God, this thing called the World Wide web and how they're like thinking about it and how small or big they're thinking. And, and cause I like thinking into the future and I like thinking about where things are going. And so that was kind of, it, it was, it was, it's been a nice thing to watch at the end of the day, you know, and I'm sort of fried, but also really energizing to help spur me in thinking about where things are going next, you know. There's something really, really, I find the same pleasure in looking at inflection points in history to contextualize them to exactly how it feels right now, right? Like, like what you're describing feels very real. I watched that... Um, in defense of sex or whatever, right? Like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, not documentary, but the movie. And like watching them go from this like old way of thinking kind of like guard to what's inevitably coming down the pipe as far as like female equalization just felt so like exactly what the LGBTQ battle is right now. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really encouraging to just understand that Yes, we are in an inflection point in history. No, it's not the first one ever, and the world's not going to end, man. <laughs> and the way the way you strung that together, I couldn't say it again. And the, uh, the inflection point, the contextualizing where we are, that was like so beautifully packaged that so well. And it's so great when someone does that because they just take all this raw riffing that you're saying and they just catch it the three words. And I'm like, yes, so nice. 
Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'll take that compliment, bro. That's uh, all yeah. right. I like it. Now I'm blushing. What is, man, what, what is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? Just that, you know, becoming very wealthy is going to solve all my problems and it's going to be make, make me really happy and it's going to be the solution, the, the false promise of wealth. Like I really, I really, really believe that, you know, especially sort of leading up on the swimsuit days. I'm like, oh, this is the solution. And I, I, this is going to sound absurd, but I had to stop. I'm like, okay, I could just be like, check. Okay, the money thing is not to worry about. So then everything else is like, fine. And I, and I just... Uh, I know for, for a fact that's just not not the way it works, you know, and that's just it, it, it's it's part of the equation. It's an important part of the equation, but it's 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 not the whole formula. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I it's it's funny, man. Like all these all these like themes that we're talking about have been themes that have been just like popping up to like prepare me to this conversation over the last like three days, right? Like, but the idea that you don't you don't run out of problems, you just you just get to solve better problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, what is, what is either your favorite singular piece of advice someone's given you or like your go-to piece of advice that you always give people? Either one. Oh, huh. I can't, let me think. Piece of advice. So here's the, here's the interesting thing. I I really don't like to give advice. Like I, and it's so much about maybe about being informed. Like you just learn to like not give advice. And so I guess I'm really proud as a man to not be like, to not, to sort of, maybe I've rewired my Mr. Fix it, you know, to like, as soon as someone's like, you know, girlfriend's telling me about something, I'm like, here's what you need to do. Like, I just, I have like reprogrammed, I think for the most part, that, that, that instinct. But we started talking about intuition in a big way, you know, and I just really believe that you could actually ask yourself a question and you can actually get an answer. It might not come right away in that second, but it will come when you're on a sh- on a chairlift or in the shower or in the bathroom or brushing your teeth, washing the dishes, something kind of menial. But if you kind of plant that question, so I do that a lot. Like I, I list questions in my journal all the time that I want to solve and it'll just like blindside me. And so I do offer that as kind of a framework to people to arrive at what they want to know because It'll, it, it comes when you're not you're least expecting it because that's your subconscious talking to you. Because your conscious will have like a ready-made thing, but that's probably not the answer you want to go with. It's like, it's the one that just, you hear or inside you and you're like, yep, that's it. And you feel it. Nice, man. That's really good. Yeah. The questions, the questions you ask dictate, dictate the answers you find, right? Like, mm-hmm. so ask better questions. I love it, man. Before my last question... This is your, your opportunity to promote whatever somebody, you know, whoever just listened to this is obviously like, dude, this guy's awesome. I want to connect. What's the best place to, I'm going to, I'm going to link to forums at work.com. I'm going to link to corewarkcapital.com. If you want to kind of like tell our friend who's been hanging out with us, what, which one to go to and when, or how to reach out to you. If they want to reach out to you, here's your, your moment to promote whatever, man, a charity that you really want to put on, whatever you want to talk about. Great. Yeah. Well, listen, I, um, if someone wants to reach out and connect, I think LinkedIn's a great place to do it. That's an easy place to get me. You know, I think if people are interested in employee ownership, and by the way, I just want to say employee ownership, it's a spectrum. You don't have to sell your company to become employee owned. If your employees think and act like owners and 
have some sort of benefit in the upside of the business that can be profit sharing. Then you then you're on the spectrum of employee ownership, and you have the far that's the far left side, the far right side is 100% ESOP or co-op or you know you fully sold all your shares. So that's but all of that counts. And so you know I think core work capital website is a great place for resources and to learn about that. Forums at work is really about a, a really simple, engaging way of creating connection both for yourself and in communities of practice, both within your organization in a way that's like really efficient and energizing. And I, I sit on the board of the, of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, and, and our commitment is to create more employee owners. I mean, that's just my North Star in life. I think when you have more employee owners, when you have more people, especially on the front lines of business, thinking and acting like owners and being trained on financial literacy and understand how a business operates and how costs operate, and they can apply those things to their personal lives, like budgeting, it gives people a lot of pride, a lot of agency in their own lives, and, and it helps fill the, the wealth inequality gap because people actually can understand how they can have an impact, a real impact on their business. They're empowered to do so. And, and here's really what I love about all, what ties it all together is all these things, employee ownership, forums at work, it changes the conversation people have at the dinner table at night. So instead of people going home and saying like, oh, my boss did this, or oh, they're jerks, or this, or, they're like, they're brainstorming about what they're like, ideas they're they're they're, they're empowered they, they, they see how they can have an, people can have an impact in their world and the, the, it's not much better of a feeling than than that and so this that's why i believe in that's the common thread and that's sort of my end goal for people that's beautiful man i'm super into that and i'm i really i really want to get involved for whatever reason anything that starts with rocky mountain and ends with institute makes me want to take a part of it <laughs> last question odd where do you find community god i i I, you know it's funny they say you create things the things you create are probably because you want it yourself it like i'm like constantly in community one structurally from these forums that i help launch my own forum my own ypo forum that I'm, i'm part of but it's interesting i just i find that being involved with all these things and thinking and talking about these things, it, it, it keeps the, helps me keep the behaviors and the ways of being that energize me and the people around me top of mind. I'll give you an example. The other day I, I ran into the grocery store right before I was coming to the office, you know, before my forum, my own forum meeting, I was going to get a bunch of like, you know, pizzas and so, so I could have it for my forum. And the guy was making a sandwich and I was like, Hey there. And he was busy doing something. I kind of startled him, you know, and I felt, and like, there's this moment where he was like, oh, hey. And like, and I realized what I was doing that moment was I was like, you're doing something. I want you to do what I'm doing because I'm in a hurry. And I got that in a second. And so I just shifted gears and I was like, I don't know. I said something like, man, that sandwich you're making is making me like rethink my life decision. Maybe I don't want a pizza. And so we got to talking and, and I just, I, I went from this, like, I came at the situation really self-centered about what I wanted, get my get, get in, get out, to like a moment of realization, like, oh no, like this this guy is like 
like doing something and I got like deep this moment here with this person. And we had like a, an amazing connection. We spoke for like four or five minutes after I learned a lot about this person. We created community. I, yeah, I know his name now. I'm going to look for him next time. And like, but I think it's because I'm always helping create or part of community that helps me recognize and gives me the ability to create it like in little instances everywhere I go. So I think community for me is, is, is everywhere. Not surprised. Not surprised, man, dude, this was so much fun, man. Like, you know, from very bane things like the fact that you're Canadian and from Colorado, which makes, you know, like that, like two, two sub six of people that I always get along with to just how, how much I hear your family, your family dynamics in your story and how they echo my family dynamics to everything that we stand for. This is one of these interviews where it just felt so easy, man. Like that, like this conversation and conversations with you feel really, really, really easy and energizing. And there's very, I don't know if I've ever had another one of these experiences where I'm just like, I just need to be doing what this dude's doing, man. Like I, like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you, man. I love the work that you're doing. I think it's as important as anything. Like, I think you could be the Peter Drucker of the next generation kind of thing. Cause, cause I believe that in this rapidly digital automating future, this sense of community ownership is going to be what separates businesses and what eliminates this inevitable, impossible churn future that we're going to in this world of increasing ADD, you know, and, and bring it all the way into the dinner table, man. You just synthesize it so well that I'm happy to be a part of this journey, man, and to be friends and for this conversation. And thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate you. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speechless really <laughs> after I've been r- rambling on for the last couple of hours, I'm speechless and moved. So thank you. Yeah, Yeah, it was a profuse compliment, so don't worry about it, man. (laughs) The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to hundred million dollar companies where we're setting record breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.